Again, this morning we, we gathered together on what is somewhat of a special Sunday for us as we commission a new pastor for service here at New Breed Church. And as you know, at the end of last year, the church voted an affirmation of the calling of Lance Lofton to serve as a lay pastor here at New Breed Church. And so we wanted to take this Sunday to recognize that call. And though he has already been faithfully serving these past couple months, and I just want you to note, he has been faithfully serving these past couple months. We want to commend him for the work that we believe that God has called him to. And, and I wanted to say this at the beginning, uh, because, you know, in many churches, is they hold a special service for a commissioning uh, ceremony. Usually it's on a Sunday night. Occasionally they'll do it in the afternoon after church on Sunday. And there are different reasons for this. But I was talking with one of my friends who is a pastor. I'm not going to tell you who he is because uh, I'm going to pick on him here in a minute. So I'll just keep it to myself. But I asked him, I said, why don't you do commissioning services in the, the kind of set Sunday gathering when the bulk of the body is there? And his response, was really interesting to me, and he said, well, we want to make sure that we don't detract in any way from the primary focus, which is the worship of God, and I would agree, the primary focus of any Sunday morning is worshiping God, because I would argue that the purpose of any moment in a Christian's life is to worship God, but, but that answer didn't quite sit well with me, because as I began to think through it, I I don't want to knock on, on churches, but in my mind, commissioning a pastor for service is worship. Because ultimately, this time is not about Lance. This time is not about any of the pastors. Ultimately, in the grandest sense, this time isn't about any of you. Though there will be charges this morning directed specifically to Lance, and though there will be charges directed specifically to you as the congregation, and though we are speaking of a unique work that is before him as a pastor, ultimately this time is about praising God that he calls and uses broken people to make much of his great name. He calls and uses broken people to make much of his great name. This time is ultimate, ultimately about praising God for gifting the church with people possessing unique gifts. And so for that reason, we thought it completely appropriate to incorporate this into our worship this morning, because it is worship. We do praise God that he gives unique individuals, unique gifts to make much of his great name in and through the church. And that's not just reserved for pastors, amen? We, we read even in some of those texts this morning, if you are in the church and if you are in the faith and the spirit of God, he has given you, the spirit of God has given you Unique gifts that are meant to be used by you for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And the amazing thing about God is that God can change the gifts that you have. He can change them based off the needs of the church because we know that God is building his church. Amen. And God has gifted each of us with unique gifts. But I also, as we kind of get started this morning, I, I want to offer you somewhat of a word of caution. And we do this frequently. Uh, when we hear messages that we don't think apply to us. There is a temptation to think, well, this is going to be more about the work of a pastor. This is going to be more about his charge. So this ultimately, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not a pastor and, and this isn't my charge. But, but I want to remind you of something that we typically try to remind you of when we have sermons and topics like this is that it may appear 
that this sermon is directed at a specific person for a specific work. But I want you to understand that every part of Scripture is for every believer. Every part of Scripture is for every believer. Now, it might hit you a little differently, right? So the passage about being cautious, about being a teacher, who carries kind of this double weight of judgment before the Lord, that hits me a little different than someone who actually stands and teaches. But that doesn't mean that that passage doesn't matter to you as well. It just hits you a little differently. You tracking with me? So, so this message matters to you. Though we are going to give Pastor Lance three specific charges, this message matters to you. And I want to give you three specific reasons why it matters to you before we dive into the text. The first reason that this sermon ought to matter to you is because of imitation. Imitation. Here's what I mean. As you know, and as you have heard us say before, there is nothing in the requirements of a pastor's character that is not a requirement for every Christian. There is not any aspect of the pastoral work that is not to some degree expected of every believer. We established that when we were working through that series on discipleship, did we not? Though not everyone will stand and teach from a pulpit, we are all called to teach, are we not? called to teach the gospel, to share the gospel, to be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. Right? Though, the though the character of a pastor is listed in multiple passages of one who is to be above reproach, who is not greedy, who manages his household well, who, who loves the body, right? Those are requirements of every believer. Are they not? And so we as, as the church are called to imitate those that God has placed in front of us because what they are is what every Christian ought to be. Pastors are meant to be examples of what the flock should be. That's why Paul says, you are to imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul tells Titus in Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Well, who is he modeling those good works to? To the people that he has been entrusted to lead and to serve in hopes that they will then model that same good work. Hebrews 13, 7, if this is not clear, I don't know what is. It says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. But the second reason why this sermon ought to matter to all of us is because responsibility as a church is to hold us as pastors accountable, even in our church covenant. The tenth commitment that we make to one another as we say that we covenant to submit to our new breed pastors and hold them accountable to follow Christ and the Bible. How in the world do we hold pastors accountable if we don't know what they are called to do? If we don't know what they are called to be? But the third reason is not just that matters to Lance. This is not just a, a message that matters to the pastors of new breed is that you don't know what God's going to do in your future. You don't know what God's going to do with you in your future. I can tell you this, that when I became a believer, I had no of being a pastor of a church. Even when I went into vocational ministry, I had no desire to be a teaching pastor in a church. And many of y'all know that I was going to be a worship leader, right? I was going to be the next great worship leader that means, right? And that's what I wanted to do. I was leading worship at, at multiple 
messages. I, I loved that. I, I felt like God had gifted me. He had, and he had gifted me for, I think, the voice might have gone. I was convinced that God was going to do. I never had any inclination that he would use me. It's interesting. Some of y'all who were back in the Portland Avenue days know this. The teaching pastor, without even realizing I'd become the teaching pastor. I was filling in, and then y'all just, like, trapped me there. <laughs> but then I realized that it wasn't you. It was that God was calling me to this, and God was moving me to this. And the reason that I say you don't know what God is going to do with you. Some of you sitting in this room could never imagine that God would put you on stage in front of his people to declare his word. Well, you are in the company of some of the greatest prophets who have ever gone, come before. They did not think that God would use them, and yet God called them and he equipped them. So you never know what God is going to do. And so with that in mind, we want to focus our attention this morning on a charge of faithfulness. A charge to faithfulness. And again, though at times I will be directing comments specifically to my brother Lance, remember that this matters for all of us. So I want to read this morning Ezekiel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through chapter 3, verse 7. And so hopefully after we've arrived there, so will you stand as we read together. Ezekiel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and reading. He said to me, God, God, to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I listened to the one who was speaking to me, to the Israelites, this to have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. The descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. I am sending you to them. And you must say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. But you, son of man, do not be afraid of them and do not be afraid of their words. Even though briars and thorns are beside you and you live among scorpions, don't be afraid of their words or discouraged by the look on their faces. For they are a rebellious house. Speak my words to them, whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. And you... Son of man, listen to what I tell you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. So I looked and I saw a hand reaching out to me and there was a written scroll in it. And when he unrolled it before me, it was written on the front and the back. Words of lamentation and mourning and woe were written on it. And he said to me, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak. To the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with this scroll I am giving you. So I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or a difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to the many peoples of unintelligible speech or a difficult language whose words you cannot understand. No doubt if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hard hearted and hard headed. You may be seated. A charge to faithfulness this morning. What I want to do as we consider the text that we have just read is offer three charges to you, Lance. Three charges that we will hold our brother accountable to. Three charges that we will expect him to fulfill as he begins and endures in this life of ministry. But then I also at the end want to offer a fourth charge specifically to us, to New Breed Church, the body of Christ. Remembering though that this whole thing matters to all of us. So we're going to jump in. Here is the first charge this morning, Lance. We as a congregation charge you to be faithful when ministry is hard. We charge you to be faithful when ministry is hard. Ezekiel, Ezekiel is an interesting book of the Bible. Ezekiel was an interesting person. Nowhere else in the Bible other than in the book of Ezekiel is Ezekiel mentioned. He's never brought up again. It's just in this book of the Bible. And Ezekiel was called to be a prophet of God while already serving as a priest of God. Now it's estimated that he received this call when he was around 30 years old. Lance, how old are you? You're late to the game, brother. Ezekiel was called to this prophetic ministry when he was 30 years old. And when he received this call, Israel was in a tough spot. The people were in exile under Babylonian captivity and they were in rebellion against God. That's made explicitly clear there in, in chapter 2, verse 3. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious pagans who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. They were in a tough spot. I've said this before, half joking, but half true. Ministry would be really easy if it wasn't for sinful people, myself included. <clears throat> but you see, the problem is not the people. The problem is sin. But as pastors, the problem we face is that people love their sin. That's important. The problem is not people. The problem is sin. But the problem we face is that people really love their sin. It was that way in Ezekiel's day and it can still be that way today. And God calls Ezekiel and declares to him that he will be a prophet of the Most High God among these rebellious people. But God was clear with Ezekiel that this would not be an easy task. Because he would be among rebellious people that loved their rebellion. And God was communicating clearly to Ezekiel, brother, ministry is hard. Lance, you've heard us talk about it often. We've mentioned it before. But there is a sense in which you will never really know the full weight and difficulty of 
being in pastoral ministry until you have walked in it for a season. I've said this before, and I will say it again, that serving in ministry as a pastor in the church of our Savior, Jesus Christ, has produced in me the greatest joys in my life. And it has simultaneously been the reason, and this is no exaggeration, this is no embellishment, the church and ministry has been the reason for my deepest heartaches. I have been on the mountaintop and I have lived in the valley of hardship in ministry. And brother, it can be hard. And God wants Ezekiel to reckon with this. But God calls him to do two things in the midst of a hard ministry. Not to give up and not to give in. You see this call not to give up there in verses 4 through 7. Where it says the descendants are obstinate and hard Hearted, I am sending you to them, then you must say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house. And I love this part. And it says, but they will know that a prophet has been among them. But you, son of man, do not be afraid of them and do not be afraid of their words. Even though briars and thorns are beside you and you live among scorpions, don't be afraid words or discouraged by the look on their faces as a pastor that is an encouragement to me don't be discouraged by the look on their faces I preach roughly 48 times a year at this church I see the looks on y'all's faces sometimes you can tell that this is a home run and sometimes you are wondering if you are speaking a foreign language that's not all your fault sometimes that's mine But he says, don't be afraid by the look on their faces, for they are a rebellious house. I'm not saying y'all are a rebellious house, for the record. He says, speak my words to them, whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. God understands that there is a real temptation in ministry when things get tough. When they get painful, when we feel the bite of the briar and the sting of the scorpion, there is a temptation to throw in the towel. And we all know that that is not just a temptation for pastors. We are all called to be ministering. The role of pastors is to equip the work of ministry. And some of you can attest to the fact that when the briars bite and the scorpion sting, there is a real temptation to throw in the towel. Of just saying this isn't worth it. And that temptation, brother, can be amplified a hundredfold for pastors in ministry. I wanted to be as transparent in this sermon with you as I could. Not to try to deter you from the work because you're already voted in and doing it. So you're somewhat stuck as well. Amen. But to just be honest with you. And I would be lying to you if I said that there were not moments in ministry when I have not wanted to throw in the towel. I would be transparent There have been moments in my ministry here at this church where my wife can attest to you where I have sat on the bed in my eyes and asked her the question, is this really how I want to spend the rest of my life? It can be painful and it can be hard and it can hurt. But what has endured me in those moments is the reminder that God has called me to this and God makes no mistake. And usually my wife who reminds me that God has called me to this. You know, I love how the beginning of this book reads, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Sometimes we, 
we skip over these things. But this whole book of Ezekiel begins in chapter 1, verse 1. And Ezekiel says that in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, while I was among the exiles of the Shabar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw a vision of God on the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile. The word of the Lord came directly to the priest Ezekiel. I love how detailed that thing is. In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile. Because it reminds me of something. It reminds me that God is never early and that God is never late. That God never calls us at the wrong time, but God is always on time. Which means that if God has set an opportunity for ministry before any of us, it is never by accident. Because God makes no mistakes. It is a privilege to be saved by God. It is a privilege to be called by God. It is a privilege to be used by God. And it is worth it to endure any bite or sting for the name of our great God because he has called us and he has commissioned us us. God made no mistake, Lance, when he called you to this ministry, and his timing was perfect. And I think in some regards, you know this, and I know this better than some of the body knows this, because some of you might not know that Lance was in the process for eldership years before we voted in December to bring him on as an elder. And one of the things that I remember the conversation very clearly, and I can tell you this, to boast up, but I respected Lance more as a man and knew that he would be a phenomenal pastor one day because of this, because Lance came to us and said that this is not the season nor the time, that God, God is not leading me to this right now. It is not time. And, and it's interesting to note because when Lance came to me, we were in the midst of praying for what it was that God was going to do breed when we were in a season of transition and we knew there were some things we longed to see. We knew that we needed leaders raised up. We were praying that God would do that. And it's called me and he just said to me, I just want you to know, brother, it was God's time. And you as a church and so let that be an encouragement to you when ministry is hard, that God made no mistakes in the timing of this. You will be tempted to think maybe I'm too young. Some of you at times will be tempted to think maybe I'm too old. Some of you will be tempted to think I'm not ready or I'm overqualified. But God makes no mistakes. So we don't give up. Believing. That as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, we are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, and it is labor, is never in vain. And so with this reality that ministry is hard, he calls Ezekiel not to give up, but he also calls him not to give in. Look at verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, and he says, And you, son of man, listen to what I tell you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. If fighting to not give up is endurance, then fighting to not give in is holiness. In the midst of ministry, there is a temptation to neglect our own souls. But if we do, we will fall. 
As Paul is writing as a spiritual father to Timothy, one who he was preparing for ministry and growing in ministry, Paul tells Timothy, he warns Timothy uh, in the early stages of his ministry in 1 Timothy 4, 16. He says, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. You see, we have to guard our lives and fight for holiness or the words that we say with our mouths calling others to be holy will amount to nothing more than hypocrisy. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? That if the words that we speak don't match the conduct of our lives, we are nothing more than hypocrites. And if you remember, Jesus had some harsh things to say about hypocrites. So we as pastors in the midst of hard ministry have to fight to not lose sight of our standing with God and not lose sight of our own holiness, but to fight to be ourselves a pleasing aroma to our God. And what will help you not give up and what will help you not give in in the midst of difficult ministry will be faithfulness to the second charge. And here is the second charge charge you to feast on the Word of God. To feast on the Word of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 3. Ezekiel records in his encounter with God, beginning there in chapter 2, verse 8. And you, son of man, listen to what I tell you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. And he says, open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. What was it? So so I looked and I saw a hand reaching out to me and there was a written scroll in it. And when he unrolled it before me, it was written on the front and the back words of lamentation and mourning and woe were written on it. He said to me, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with this scroll I am giving you. So I ate it and it was as sweet as honey to my mouth. You know, we want to serve and minister as pastors in a way, in such a way that there is life and longevity to our ministries. There's something to be said and you can look at statistics. I looked at a few of them, but. They're all a little different, but just to say this, the statistics of pastors who burn out in their first five years of ministry is astronomical. They give up, they throw in the towel, they are exhausted, and they never come back to pastoral ministry. Again, we want to serve and minister in such a way that there is life and longevity in our ministry, and God has set before us, Jesus reminded us that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That life, spiritual life, personal spiritual life, life in ministry, life in what we are doing, it does not come from the things of this world. It is not found in what is offered here. But real life, spiritual life comes from feasting on the word of God that comes from the mouth of God. There is life in the word of God and we must 
Feast on it. I love what it's written there in chapter 3, verse 3. He said, Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with this scroll that I am giving you. You see, God wants us and invites us to feast and be filled of the word of God. And God is not talking about nibbling on the scraps here. Not when he's talking about feasting. So, interesting thing about me, to let you in, know a little bit more about your pastor here. Uh, I'm not the best eater, just in general. Uh, so one, this like makes fun of me for this because I can come home from work some days. It's like 7 p.m. and be like, oh, I forgot to eat today. And she's like, how do you forget to eat food? But then even when food is set for me, I kind of have a habit of, I think it's my mind. I like, I like to complete a task. I like to see it brought to fruition. I like to see something completed. Some of y'all right now are like figuring out what number I am, okay? I know that's something about my wife told me again. Um, I can't get away from it, but I like to see a task complete, and that plays itself out when I'm eating, right, because I like when the plate's clean. Like, I, I finished the task, and so people are like, do you want more? And I'm like, well, no, because the task is done, but I might not be full yet, and so one of the things that kind of traditionally in our house and uh, is that on Sunday evenings, we, we all gather at my mom's house for kind of a, a family get-together. We have a meal together. It's usually us, my my siblings will come and we just have a meal and we hang out for a little which is good for us to be family and my, my mom can attest to you uh, my dad as well because he always asks the same question and I always give him the same answer but without fail they'll find me like in their cupboards looking for things and my dad's like well what are you looking for and I was like I'm just looking that's, that's what I always say but I'm just looking for something to nibble on it after we just had dinner after we just ate a meal and I'm looking for something to nibble on and I've noticed this that typically what is placed before me for dinner is healthier and better for me than what I'm gonna pull out of the cabinet because I'm always looking for like the chocolate or the cookie or I just have pull out the marshmallows and those in right and so what I'm nibbling on is never as good as the feast that is set before me. You see in where this is going here? So often, so many of us don't feast on the Word of God. We're not full with the Word of God. And so we find ourselves nibbling on things that are not as good for us. And they will not satisfy, and they will not endure, and they will not produce life. Live on a diet of chocolate and see how it pans out for you. And so we have to guard as believers, as pastors, to make sure that we aren't just approaching the word with little morsels and taking little bits and pieces of it as if it will satisfy. But our call is to feast on the word of God and be so full of the word of God that we're not tempted to nibble on lesser things. We're not tempted to nibble on the things of this world, but we are satisfied. We can say like Ezekiel, it was as sweet as honey. I was full. I was fed. I wanted nothing else. I believe this to the depths of my core, brother, and I have said this to you, and I say it to you as a church, and to some of you who are aspiring to be pastors, and I know you are here, I talk with you who want to see uh, God work and bring you to that place, I believe in the depths of my soul that a man who does not have the discipline of feasting on the word of God is not ready for pastoral ministry, is not ready. There is a survey out to me that is just appalling that said recently, I hope I don't misquote this, but I think it said it was just as high as 68% of pastors only read their Bible when they're getting ready to preach a sermon. 
like read what they're going to preach. They never read for their own soul. They never feast on the word of God. And that scares me. To, you wonder why the majority of our churches are declining. It's because the majority of churches, based on that statistic, have men in the pulpits who are not qualified to be in the pulpits. If we don't have the discipline of feasting on the word of God as those that God has entrusted to shepherd the church here on earth, we are not qualified for pastoral ministry. There are some things, brother, that you will learn on the job. You are not an expert. I am not an expert. Pastor John, who has been doing this for a long time, is not an expert. There are things that you will learn on the job and that you can grow in. But the basic spiritual discipline of reading your word is not something you can grow in on the job. Because we have to be people, if we are going to be faithful in ministry, where it has any sort of longevity, and this is for any, we, we, at the depths of our core, long to feast and be satisfied on the word of God alone. But what is so amazing about God is he is calling Ezekiel, and he is calling us to do something that he knows will be for our good and for our greatest satisfaction. You see, I love the response in Ezekiel there at the end of 3, verse 3, where he says, So I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Now, what is so interesting to me about that is you recall the words that he was eating. They were laments, they were mournful, and they were woes, meaning they were judgments being cast down on Israel. And he eats that. He ingests that word of God, and he says that it was sweet to him. Because what Ezekiel understands and what he is showing us is that all of God's word is good for us. And it is sweet. It should be sweet to us. The word is something to be cherished because it is the means by which we hear from God. It is for our good, our growth our protection, and our delight. And if we want to endure hard seasons of ministry, we have to be feasting on the word of God. I think of that story in the New Testament with the followers of Jesus and the disciples where Jesus gives that hard teaching, right? His word is difficult. It is hard for them to intake where he says that if anyone wants to be found in me, he has to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And even here in the word, that's a strange thing to teach. That's a hard teaching. And it says that so many of his followers left because of how difficult the word was. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to go too? And you know what Peter's response was? Where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. And for Peter, for Ezekiel, the word of God was sweet to them and it was savory to them. And so they feasted on the word. But not only that, the word will guard us in the midst of difficult ministry by keeping us from stumbling. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we understand the beauty of the fact that our God has to communicate it to us through his word, we will long to feast on it and, and stay away from nibbling on the word of God. Isn't it amazing that our God gives us a feast? And he says, take and eat and eat it all. We have to grow to cherish the word of God, and it will sustain us in hard seasons. But the word of God is beautiful. It is a gift to us. I love what St. Augustine said when he reminded us that the Holy Scriptures 
are our letters from home. You see, not only is feasting on the word good for our own souls, but it is good for those we minister to. And this leads to our third charge this morning. Pastor Lance, we charge you to declare the word of God. To declare the word of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. He says, then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Now, don't forget that in order for him to declare the word of God, he had to first ingest the word of God. He had to eat the word of God. He had to take it in himself. And then his call was to go and declare the word of God. And brother, what we do hinges on the word of God. There is power in the word of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. There is salvation through hearing the word of God, Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is growth through the word of God, John 17.17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There is equipping through the word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. And here the word of God will not fail. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, for just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. So we proclaim the word of God, believing that the word will not fail. You know what the beautiful thing about all of this is, Pastor Lance? The beautiful thing about God is he doesn't need you to be great. He doesn't need you to be the best speaker. He doesn't need you to be the clearest communicator. Praise God, because I've stuttered a few times this morning. He doesn't need you to be the best orator and have the best apologetics. God did not check your resume before he called you. Because God, what God is looking for is not expertise. He is looking for a humble servant. And a servant depends on and proclaims the word of God. One thing that has destroyed many a great preacher is experience. Think about that for a minute. One of the things that has destroyed many a great preacher is experience. Because the longer we walk in the road, the more tempted we are to think the fatal thought, I got this. I know how to make a church run. I know how to make people happy. I know how to help people when they hurt. I know, I know, and we move from God said to I know, God will end our ministries if he is gracious. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. This is to all of us. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of you from noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing that which is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now listen to this. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing to you the mystery of God to or announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words or wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power. So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And brothers and sisters, God's word is powerful. So we proclaim the word of God. We preach Christ crucified, unashamed. Pastor, preach Christ crucified, unashamed. I saw someone share this yesterday and I thought it was great. He said, our mandate, preach Christ. Our method, preach Christ. Our message, preach Christ. Our motivation, preach Christ. Our mission, preach Christ. Preacher, preach Christ. And so we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim Jesus and we proclaim all of it. Because we believe that there is hope in no one else. We believe that we have rebelled against God. And so we don't shy away from talking about that that we deserve. The full, the fierce, and the final judgment of God because of our sin. We are not in a bad way. We're not doing okay. Our sin separates us from God, and we are by nature and damned to hell. God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus, who lived the perfect life, keeping the law in every way we stumble. He walked faithfully, he walked humbly, and he walked purposefully before his God, understanding that this was all about his glory. It was all about his name, and he was the only one who by nature did not deserve death, and yet he he hung in the balance between heaven and earth to provide a way for us to be made right with God, and his blood was shed, and his life was ended as a payment for our sin, and we can come to him in faith and repentance and find forgiveness, but it doesn't end there. Not only did Jesus die, but he was buried and was raised from the dead three days later, and as it says in Romans, he was crucified for our transgression and he was raised for our justifications and we proclaim that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and so pastor preach Christ and as you do this watch God work watch God work here is my final charge this morning and this is a charge to the church to us who are here in this place Y'all might think you're getting off easy because he got three and you got one, but it's a weighty charge. Here is my charge to you. New breed, we charge you to not be like Israel. To not be like Israel. Look at what it says there in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He says, for you are not being sent to a people intelligible speech or a different language, but to the house of Israel, not to the many peoples of unintelligible speech or a difficult language whose words you cannot understand. No doubt if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not 
want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hard-headed and hard-hearted. Church, I plead with you to listen to those that God has placed in authority over you. I'm not saying we'll always get it right and hold us accountable when we don't. I'm not saying that we'll always say everything with the most clarity. I'm not saying there won't be better pastors than us in this world, but we believe that we are the best pastor for you because God has placed us here. Trust those that God has placed in authority over you. This is not a blind trust. This is not an ignorant trust. No, no, no. Before you do anything, you feast on the word of God. Make sure that what we're saying and what we are doing is in accordance with Scripture. But if it is accordance with Scripture, then be faithful to hear what God is saying through those that he has placed in authority over you. Hebrews 13, 17, we are called, the call is to obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. The idea here is that when you submit and ultimately trust God when he places leaders for you and you trust them with joy, it is for our good and it is for your good. But it is unprofitable to live in rebellion. It is unprofitable in the church. It is unprofitable in the sense of eternity to live in rebellion. And so... I plead with you, I charge you not to be like Israel, believing that our God loves his bride. He loves the church and at the right time, at the right moment, he set men to lead in places where he wanted them and you have affirmed that and you have believed that and so trust God that he is working for your good. Believe that God is not against his people. And when he calls under shepherds, trust that it is for your good. Because if there is anything that the cross declares to us, it is that God loves his bride. So much so that he was willing to send his son to die to redeem it. And God is ever expanding his bride. He is growing his bride. He is protecting his bride. And he is preserving his bride. But God is calling men to serve among his bride. And so when God places pastors over you, trust them, believing, believing that God is for your good. 